So I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was in need of clothes, and you clothed me. And last week, we heard Justin speak about I was sick, and you came to care for me. As a matter of fact, I was so impacted by Justin's message last Sunday that I shaved my beard off so I would look just like him. Actually, I accidentally shaved my beard off, but I thought I would look just like him. And then he started growing his hair, shaved his beard out so he would look like me. We're so confused. But we're excited. It was a great word last week. And speaking of sick, I just want real quick to, to pray for Beth Nealon, Beth and Tony Nealon. Beth's mom is having surgery right now. Uh, for um, some kidney stones and then Libby's mom um, is getting weaker by the day and so she she's ready she's excited she's ready to go but it's hard to let her go and so let's pray for them right now so father we come to you in the name of Jesus and we lift up those who are not well today not just um, Beth and Libby's mom but also those that are just here in the room today that are sick and that need a touch from you so God, would you, would you do that? Would you just hear our prayers? Would you reach in and touch those places that are hurting? God, would you allow us to show mercy to someone today in our life instead of casting judgment? Father, teach us to do that the way Jesus did it so well. Lord, we ask for your hand to be upon them, those that are not well. And God, would you be present with us here today? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, um, we're excited about the, uh, the baptisms tonight. Hopefully you can be a part of that. If you said, well, I don't, wasn't really planning on that, we'll make, make a plan and just come and just be a part of just fellowshipping together. So today, our emphasis, the last part of our series on Jesus' teaching out of Matthew chapter 25, the least of these. Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me, Jesus said. And the last one is, I was in prison and you came to visit me. And I don't know... If you've ever been to visit somebody in prison, raise your hand if you've ever been to visit somebody in prison, whether you went to the prison or you went to the local jail here and sat on the other side talking on the phone, uh, it's awkward, but yet it's effective because you still have communication. It's hard for me. I'm a kind of touchy-feely guy. I just want to hug them, and I just can't hug them, and all I can do is talk to them. Well, when I started thinking about those that are involved in prison ministry, I immediately thought of Gina Hanna, and Gina and her husband, I, I came in contact with them through Vineyard Church when I was on staff there. Dirk was a pastor there, and, and Gina was in part of the ministry, and so we, uh, we actually share office space. She has one little office cube area, and I have another one, and so it's, it's awesome to get to connect with her on a more regular basis. If I ever showed up in my office, I'd get to connect more with her. But Gina is part of Beauty for Ashes ministry. It's a 501c3 that was founded back in 2009 by her and her husband. And this ministry was birthed out of Gina's own personal story, which she'll probably share a little bit of that with you today. Beauty for Ashes ministry provides a Christ-centered community that equips prisoners for their restored role in society through mentoring, practical teachings, and spiritual disciplines. Are we going to do the video first, or are you going to introduce it? Well, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Gina Hanna. And uh, that's not an easy task, because as he asked you to raise your hands, how many of you have actually done that? Um, there, 
it was definitely not the majority. And I would say that if I were to survey the room right now before I were to give my, my talk, and I won't, I won't make you raise your hand on this, and I asked you, who, who feels called to go into prison? Who wants to go to prison? Um, probably not the majority would raise your hand. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. Um, you may think about what you've seen on TV, so fear would hold you back because you think of, you know, the animals that are locked up in prison who are violent and, and you don't want to get hurt. Um, you would be afraid to go. Or maybe, maybe you wouldn't want to raise your hand because you actually kind of sit in a place of judgment of those that are in prison. And that's an honest feeling to say, hey, they deserve to be there. They have broken the law. They are child molesters, they're murderers, they're rapists, they're addicts that have taken from our community, that have taken from my family, or maybe you've been a victim of crime and you say, hey, they're getting what they deserve. True statement. And maybe that would keep you from going, hey, once they pay their price to society, you know, the legal system is there for a reason, and once they've, they've paid the price, then hey, I'll help them when they come out, but I'm not going to prison to hang out with those people. And that's an honest viewpoint. Some of you may say, hey, I'm not going to prison because I don't know the statutes of limitation, but <laughs> things I did in my past would have sent me there, and I've spent half my life trying not to go. And this is an honest statement because <laughs> Jeff Horde, who um, is here, Jeff and Penny are on staff with us with Beauty for Ashes, and the first time I went to him years ago when we met, I said, man, God gave me this vision. We're going to go to prison someday. He's like, uh-uh. <laughs> And this is his statement to me. I've spent half my life and half my inheritance staying out of prison. I am not going to prison. <laughs> and it's true. Some of the stories that Jeff has, we don't share, just in case. <laughs> but, but these are all real valid reasons and maybe reasons why you wouldn't want to go. But I would say there's a reason that Jesus talks to us about hanging out with, these, with people in prison, right? He has a heart for the outcast. Brady read that scripture that it lists all these groups of people, and most of them are easy for us to say yes to. But there's a reason he wanted us to go into prison. I mean, his heart, when he was walking on earth, who did he hang out with? I mean, he hung out with sinners, right? He was, the Pharisees saw him and said, what are you doing? You're hanging out with all these tax collectors. You're having a party with them. You're, you're breaking bread with them. You're eating dinner. These are not what a religious man would do. And what did Jesus say to him? You can actually read the scripture in Mark 2, 17, where he responded. And it says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So I would argue, you know, if Jesus was here on earth today walking around and you wanted to spend time with Jesus, you wouldn't show up here. Because if you have put your faith in Jesus, then you are righteous. And Jesus wouldn't need to hang out with you. If you wanted to hang out with Jesus, if he was here walking around today, you would need to go behind the walls, behind the barbed wire. Because that is a place that is filled with people who know they are sinners. They get called that on a regular basis. They get reminded of their sin on a regular basis. And they need Jesus. And here's the cool thing. That even though Jesus isn't walking around today, we can't physically see him. When you do go to prison, you palpably feel his presence there. Because Jesus promised us, when you visit those in prison, you will see Jesus, you're meeting Jesus there himself. And the best way I can describe this, I mean, it is a real phenomenon that happens. So those of you who have been there know 
that when you go, his presence is so thick in this place. And I think that's because if I were to light a match here, up here, under these lights in this auditorium that's all lit up, you could see the flame, you could see the light, but it wouldn't really shine a light on all of you. But if you go into a really dark room, there's no light at all, you light a match, that light just extends really far. And that's what prison is. I mean, it's a dark place. The enemy has gotten a lot of ground there. And it's a dark environment, yes. But when we go in with Jesus in us and we bring his light into that place, his presence shows up so thick. And you really do get to meet Jesus there. So I hope after you hear this this morning, we'll have a long line of people that are ready to go visit those in prison. And if you say, well, it's not for me, we'll have opportunities to send people to prison on your behalf. So... Um, I want to share my story of how I got into prison ministry. Um, definitely wasn't something I felt called to, uh, you know, at a young age. I did feel call into, called into ministry um, probably about when I was about 14. It was, it's the family business in our, in our family. Um, grandparents are missionaries on both sides, and all the aunts and uncles, everyone's a pastor or a youth pastor or um, in the ministry of some sort. So I think I always knew I was going to do ministry, and I really felt a calling around 14. And it was around that same age that the enemy came in. And I, I think as soon as he heard me say it out loud that that's what I wanted to do, he, he snuck around and said, oh, let me get you sidetracked. You know, I grew up in a church, um, kind of a legalistic message. I don't know if they meant to be that way um, or if that's just the way churches were back in, back in the day. But, uh, you know, we would show the thief in the night videos and we were going to scare people straight into heaven. And so I, uh, I, was, I answered every altar call just in case because I knew the things I was doing to my sister alone. I was the youngest child. I was going straight to hell. And so I wanted to make sure if I did die before I woke um, that I was going to make it in because that's what it was to me. It was a you're in or you're out. I, di- I didn't get the message of grace so much and uh, became pretty promiscuous at a young age. And when you're raised in the church and you're doing the things I was doing, the guilt and shame just made me want to give up. I just knew what was the point. So when I got to college, I had stopped going to church altogether because I didn't have a chance. (laughs) I didn't have a chance in hell. I had a chance to get to hell, and I was pretty sure I was going there already, so I was going to have a good time getting there. Uh, So when I got to college, I tried everything. Um, Tried marijuana, and it was a thing for me. It was not just a, well, let's just say I inhaled, truly. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, you know, I've always been one who likes to help people. That's always been at the heart of who I am. It's in my DNA. And in college, I uh, helped an undercover cop get a quarter bag of marijuana, which is a felony. Uh, so I ended up in court uh, facing the judge. First time ever in trouble, quarter bag of weed. Probably not going to get anything but two years probation. Well, God had a different plan for my life. And as I stood in front of the judge, I heard this voice at the same time as he was saying, you're going to go to prison for a 120, which is four months, and you're going to be on probation for five years. At the same time, I had this overwhelming peace that said, this is for a reason. And so I, I went into prison with that in mind, going, okay, maybe I'm going to save everyone I meet. You know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to go to there. And I got there, and I thought, yeah, I don't want to save anyone. <laughs> I just want to, I don't want to get beat up is what I don't want. I mean, I'd never been in a fight in my life, and I was like Pollyanna in prison. You know, if anyone looked at me sideways, I'd write them a little note like, are you mad at me? Let's talk about it before the sun went down, because that's what I was raised to do. <laughs> but you know what I met when I was there was I met these women And as I shared my story of, you know, having family game nights and uh, having parents that had us in church every 
Wednesday, you know, Sunday and Wednesday, anytime the doors were open, there was an envious look on their face because they didn't have that same experience. These were women who, you know, didn't know their dads. Um, as I would hear the stories of, you know, mom had tons of boyfriends that came in the house and there was women that as children were molested by these boyfriends that were there or their parents were so in their own drug addiction, no one was protecting them. Many of them were getting high with their parents at, you know, young ages, eight, nine years old, getting high for the first time. Dad shooting the, shooting the daughter up for the first time. Things that were just heartbreaking, and you thought, no wonder you ended up here. But the thing we had in common is we all had this, like, God-sized hole in our hearts, right? And we were using, you know, for me, I used sex and drugs and anything else to fill that hole because I had fallen for this life and the enemy that I didn't have a chance anyway. But everything I turned to was a counterfeit, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't meeting that need. And they had the same thing going on. They had this hurt and pain in this hole that they would fill with anything else because of all this pain from their past that led to criminal decisions that put them behind bars. They were there for the right reasons, and they were paying their price, but they really didn't have things going for them from the very beginning. So when I left, I left with this burden. You know, God had sent me there for a reason. And when I left, I'm like, yeah, your tax dollars are going to work on me. I'm never coming back to this place because it was a reunion every time someone walked through those doors. When I was there, I learned, they kept telling us, seven out of ten of you will be back. Seventy percent of you will come back to prison because at that time, that was what the recidivism rate was in Missouri. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be a statistic. I'm not going back. I'll never do drugs again. And within six months after being out on probation for five years, I had a son. My son was six months old when I went to prison, and so at this point he was about a year old. And I was right back in my addiction. And that was so frustrating to me. I just didn't understand. I mean, the judge had made it clear. When I stood before him, he said, if you violate probation one time, I'm sending you for your full sentence. I could have done 10 years, which I would have done 80% of. So I was risking smoking marijuana on probation. Uh, I was risking going back to prison. And that wasn't enough. I mean, people ask, why, why can't people just stop? And I was asking the same thing. God, why can't I just stop? What's the point? You said this was for a reason. Why didn't it work on me? And I was having this conversation. I, could, I know it was one of those God moments where I was sitting on the stairs leading to the basement because that's where I'd smoke pot because I was hoping that it wouldn't go through the rest of the house. But uh, God gave me a vision in this conversation, and I felt like it, when I said God spoke to me, it was these ideas, these thoughts that popped in my head that said, you did go to prison for a reason. And he showed me a wing of the prison. I could see exactly like what I had lived in, where I had gone to treatment. We all lived separate together. And I could see that. And he said, you're going to run a program there someday. I could visualize this. And I didn't know what we were going to be doing, but I knew God said, eventually you're going to get out of your addiction. And when you do, you're going to take that back. What works for you, you're going to take it back. So I was excited. I was on a mission. I had this vision, this calling from God that I was going to redeem what I had gone through and go back to prison. And so I was telling everyone about it. I was so excited. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I thought maybe it was going to be like a drama program or dance. I mean, that was something I had a passion for. So I thought maybe if people discovered their passions, which was definitely part of it, then they wouldn't go back to prison. So I was telling everyone, we're going back to prison someday, and we're going to do this program there, and ah, if only I could stop doing this. <laughs> and that was my life for eight years, like struggling against this addiction, this calling on my life and this addiction that I had a battle with, because I couldn't do both. Well, I had a grandma who, um, 
if you have family members and that are walked away from church that you've been praying for, I'd say just keep encouraging them to go because it makes a difference. My grandma said, Gina, um, you need to get back in church. You need to raise your kids in church. And I'm like, I know, Grandma. But in my, in my mind, in my heart, I was thinking, you have to be perfect to go there. And I just knew if I walked through the doors, they were going to be there with a the measuring stick seeing if I belonged, you know, like, like it was a country club, and I had to make sure I had the membership, uh, and I knew I wasn't going to get accepted. But she said, Gina, just go for your kids' sake. So I did, and the church I found, um, you know, I, I started showing up. It felt like going back home. If you, you may relate to that experience. If maybe you walked away from church at some point, and you came back, and it's like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm at home. And when I shared with one of the pastors there about my addiction and, the, and was honest to say, hey, I'm getting high on the way here. I had a 30-minute drive from Gower to where my church was located. And it, to me, that was a road trip. And so <laughs> you got high on road trips. <laughs> and so, I mean, I would just, uh, and so I was showing up a mess. And he said, oh, that's okay. Just keep coming. Like, they didn't kick me out for it. He said, you know, that's a character issue, and God's going to deal with that. So I kept showing up, and for the next three years, that is how I showed up. But I plugged in, and I, tried, I started serving. And here's the thing. We don't have to strive to change. We don't have to strive to, to deal with these things. We just have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit do it. That's what sanctification is. And so that's what I, was happening in me, even though I didn't know it. Well, I felt released from my marriage. I had gotten divorced. By this point, I had two kids. Um, met my husband, who I'm married to today. And when I met him... Like on our second date, I shared with him that I was still an addict. And in true addict fashion, when he said, well, when's the last time you got high? I was like, well, in the last month. Because 30 minutes ago was in the last month. <laughs> I mean, because that's what we do. Um, and so he, he said, well, Gina, the kind of relationship I want to have with you is one that's going to last forever. And, and we can't have this. Um, you're going to have to work through this addiction. I was like, Ugh. And I was waiting for the thus saith the Lord, because <laughs> I knew God was talking to me through him. Because here was this man who, trust me, I had a list of everything I wanted in a man. You could ask my ex-husband. I told him about it all the time. <laughs> and so here's this man who had like three out of the five things already. I mean, he loved Jesus. He was super funny. He was good looking. You know, there was only a couple things we were going to have to change. <laughs> Just joking. But God knew exactly what I wanted. And so we came up with this plan. He's like, you know, like, put today's date on the calendar, and I'm going to support you in this. And every 30 days you're sober, sober, we'll celebrate. You know, so I did that. I put it on a Post-it note and put it on the fridge. And three days later I had to mark off the date because I had failed. And so I was trying it in my own strength. Well, we got engaged, and right after we got engaged, I signed up for a class at our church called Oaks of Righteousness. And this class was the game changer. It was in this class that I learned how to take the grave clothes off. Because when you give your life to Christ, you are a new creation. The Bible is clear that you have gone from death to life. But when we look at Lazarus, when he was brought back to life, he walked out of the graves not totally, not like Jesus did, right? He came out with the grave's clothes still on, and they had to be taken off. And that's what I did in Oaks, is I learned how to get to those root issues. I mean, all the way back to my childhood stuff, which when I showed up, I thought, I don't know what you're going to have to deal with. I mean, I was raised in a good home. I had parents that loved me, stayed together, stayed married my whole life. You know, they had us in church. What are you going to have to deal with? Well, for me, my dad traveled a lot. 
I mean, he was gone some years, 50 weeks out of the year. I mean, he'd be home on the weekends, and then he'd be busy getting the housework or, you know, the yard work. Uh, we did the housework. They did the, he did the yard work. He'd get that done, and then we'd be in church, and we just didn't get a lot of quality time together. So the enemy came in and used that as an opportunity to define my worth. Yeah, you're not even worth having your dad's attention. You're not worth having his presence. He's abandoned you in this. You might as well give yourself away because that's what you have to do to get a guy to really love you, to give you his time. So as soon as I started doing that, of course, that came with guilt and shame. You know, and when I shared that with the church when I was a teenager and they found out that I had had sex, they, they really wagged their finger at me. They didn't show me love and compassion and grace. So I had, to, I had bitterness against the church that I had to deal with. And so I learned about these things. I had lies that I believed about myself. And in Oaks, I learned about unforgiveness. I learned about lies, about these curses that I had spoke on myself. I called myself a pothead on a regular basis. I was probably going to stay one until I broke that lie. I, I'm not a pothead. I'm a child of God. You know, so I had to deal with all that stuff. And it was in that class that I finally was delivered from my addiction. And so I knew God had said, once you figure out how to get set free, you're going to take that back. And because of time, I'm going to summarize this part of the story, but God opened doors. I can't even tell you that I knew how to go back to prison the right way. (laughs) That was my big issue. It was like, I know how to go to prison. I don't know how to go as a volunteer. Um, I didn't even know that that was an opportunity. But God opened doors. We connected uh, with um, Prison Fellowship. They had a program called Interchange Freedom Initiative. And it was in Kansas. And when I met this guy who worked for them, I had heard this guy does full-time prison ministry. I'm like, I want to do full-time prison ministry. Maybe he'll hire me. And so we, uh, we met him, and he described his program. He said, we're in Lansing, Kansas, and we have a wing of the prison uh, that everyone lives together, and they go through Christ-centered discipleship classes. He said, we're in Lansing, Kansas, but we're also over in Missouri. He said, you've probably never heard of Vandalia, Missouri. Uh, where the women's prison is. I'm like, yep, been there, done that, (laughs) showed up in shackles, Uh, totally know where that is. And so he described the vision I'd had for eight years, and I about fell over. Uh, You know, he was like reading my mail. And so I'd asked him, I said, well, we had this class, Oaks of Righteousness, that we really want to get into prison. Can we put it into your program? And they said, oh, no, you have to teach our classes, you know, uh, which I totally get now because people ask us all the time to put stuff in. Nope, you got to teach our classes first until we get to know you. So we did. We, we signed up. We started doing worship services, which we do to today over at Lansing uh, Correctional Facility. We, um, twice a month, starting then, and we've never stopped since 2009 is when we started that. Um, we do worship services on the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday of every month, and we invite people to come over and just do church with us over with the men at Lansing Correctional Facility. So we did that, and we also taught their class. Uh, at the time, it was 21 Laws of Leadership. So there's classes that you can volunteer to teach. And so a year later, uh, we asked again, can you give us advice on how to get Oaks of Righteousness into prison? And they said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. We've been looking for a class for our men to take that have finished our program, and they're sitting around with nothing to do. Maybe they want to sign up for your class. So God opened the doors for us to take Oaks of Righteousness into the men's prison at Lansing Correctional Facility, which we still teach to this day. But let me tell you about that first time we taught Oaks in prison. So here's this class where we teach, you know, about strongholds, about unforgiveness and vows and lies, curses, judgments, self-pity, pride, shame, all the things that can make us stuck in our lives. And then we teach you how to take that through the cross to get it healed and to break those strongholds. Um, So these guys had no idea what they were signing up for. They signed up for a class because they thought, well, it's beauty for ashes. They're, They're fun people. We'll take their class. And so they take it. The first few weeks, we do all these teachings. 
Well, then we go into what's called ministry time, and that's where we get into these tiny groups, and we uh, walk them through sharing their story, and then we walk them through prayer ministry to, to pray through those things. So these guys in prison, there's like this, I say hierarchy of sin, really. I mean, that's what it is. There's this like structure of if you're in there for murder, and as long as it wasn't a woman or a child, you're really respected. But if you're a child molester, you're at the bottom of the totem pole, and you get what's called a lockdown, which is where they put a lock and a sock, and they beat you down with it when you're not looking. And everything else kind of falls in between there, depending on what your crime is. Well, we didn't look people up to put them in their ministry group. So our ministry group would be two to three people in each group, and we'd go into these tiny rooms in the basement of a maximum security prison, just below the hole, which was a, uh, which would, what you would think would be a scary environment, but not scary. I'm telling you, prison is not scary when you go in for prison ministry. So we show up, and we tell the guys who's going to be in each group. And we pray, and we did some worship. We said, okay, go into the rooms. You're going to go in there. And we thought, this first time, we may be sitting in silence because we're going to ask these men who are incarcerated in a maximum security prison to share their feelings. Yeah, I mean, that would be hard in this room (laughs) to ask a bunch of men to share their feelings. But much less there, to share your stories and to be vulnerable is not something you do in prison. And so when we broke everyone into their groups, this guy, Michael, comes up to me, and he said, um, Miss Gina, I'm sorry, but I'm not doing this. I'm like, you're not doing what? I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm not doing this ministry time. Sorry. And we weren't going to force anyone to do it, you know. And I said, well, what, tell me about that. Well, Jeremy's in our group, and I know what Jeremy's in here for. I don't respect him. Jeremy had a sex offender case, and it was more of a Romeo and Juliet crime as opposed to a child molester type situation, but we've dealt with them all. But Michael was in there for, or for murder, so he was more respected than Jeremy was. And I said, man, I just wish that you would just pray about this. Like, like get, ask God to give you his eyes for, for Jeremy, you know, because we have to do that coming in here every day. Like, you know, none of you guys are in here for bad manners, right? I mean, that's fair enough. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, true. I'm like, well, he said, well, for you and Dirk, I'll do this. I'm like, okay, thank you. So we get into the ministry time, and we pray, and we all, this is how it looks every time. We sit around, we pray, Holy Spirit, just come, guide this time, and you point out who you want to go first today, and you point out what you want them to deal with today, because we only have three hours. So we finished praying that and said, who wants to go first? Jeremy raises his hand. I'm like, oh, goodness. <laughs> of course, it's Jeremy. <laughs> so I look over, and Michael's arms are just crossed, and he's just complete judgment of Jeremy. and <laughs> not even going to look at him. He's looking at the ceiling. So we asked Jeremy to share his story. Like, start from the beginning, whatever you feel like God wants you to share. So Jeremy starts talking about his life story. You know, I mean, he never knew his dad. His mom was one of those who had many abusive boyfriends. I mean, as a young child, talk about post-traumatic stress disorder. Some of those things that these kids see in abusive homes are just so unfair. And he saw his mom get brutally beat up on a regular basis. At two years old, he was target practice for a BB gun. I just can't even imagine. And at that time, my son was two years old when we were doing this. And my heart just broke to think of the things he'd gone through. He had been sexually molested by different men that had come through the home. Just a horrible story. So we take him through prayer ministry. And in that time, we, we teach him to pray through the name of Jesus, to break to ask for forgiveness. Like, can you choose to forgive your mom for not protecting you? Can you forgive her for um, 
bringing these men in? Can you forgive these men? You know, and he'd pray, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I choose to forgive my mom. I break this name in the name of Jesus that I'm a child molester. I break the title inmate. I replace it with the truth that I'm a child of God, that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. You know, so we went through all these things, and I look over at Michael, and Michael's tears are just streaming down his face. Because the next day when he shared his story, it was so similar, and so many of the stories are. But what happened was when these men left that, that little room in the basement of that, you know, the maximum security prison, they walked out maturing quickly into men of God. They had come in these little boys that had been hurt, and they had been stunted in their maturity, but they broke free out of that, and they, they left men of God. And so we have continued to teach the Oaks of Righteousness program there at the maximum security prison. The next year, in 2011, Prison Fellowship announced that their program, IFI, was shutting down. And so we, um, well, at first when we heard the news, we were like, what? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, this is doing such good work here at the men's prison. We knew it was doing great work at, back in Vandalia. We'd gone there and, and, and gave our testimony there and shared with the women. We hadn't taken Oaks there because we couldn't figure out how to do that. It's three and a half hours away. But when they announced this news, in the midst of our disillusionment, God tapped on my shoulder and said, but I told you you guys would be running a program in the women's prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so on faith, when it didn't make sense on paper, because we literally had $500 in the bank, and it was going to cost $10,000 a month to run this program, uh, we went to Prison Fellowship and asked them if we could have it. And they said, absolutely, we've been praying someone would take over. So we have taken over the program, and it's now called Beauty for Ashes Reentry. And I'm going to take you into the prison real fast and show you a video so you can meet some of the ladies there. Of 
So that's a little visual of what our wing looks like. Um, and just to, to wrap up here, the ways that you can get involved, we have our Beauty for Ashes reentry program in Vandalia. God is blowing our minds once again as he's expanding our program, and we will be in Chillicothe Correctional Center. So another CCC. You guys are CCC, and that's Chillicothe Correctional Center. Um, so maybe you're called to come and visit our women there and teach classes and mentor. We work with these women from the time they're in prison all the way into the community. So now that we're going to be in both prisons, there's only two women's prisons in the state of the Missouri. So those from the Kansas City area go to Chillicothe. So we're going to have many opportunities to mentor. Uh, we continue to go to Lansing. We do banquets for the families uh, where the kids get to come in. We've seen families restored through these um, banquets. So there's opportunities to go and serve our guest of honor with the families that come um, with a, a good meal. And in October, we're inviting your church to answer to the call to come to prison on the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday of that month, um, which is October Fourth uh, and the 18th, Brady is going to preach the message. We're going to invite your worship team to come and provide the worship for us. And we would love for you guys to come with us to visit the men um, over at Lansing Correctional Facility. If it's something you want to do on a regular basis, we can get you plugged in and trained to go on a regular basis um, using whatever gifts God's given you. And if you're one to say, you know what? Um, I want to do even more with this. I either want to go, or maybe I don't want to go, but I want to sow into your ministry. We are at a time that we need that. We need those additional offerings, not your tithes, but those additional offerings. Uh, so with this expansion, we can continue God, to do God's work and reach even more. So thank you for having us, and I'm going to turn it back over to Brady to wrap this up. Amen. Thank you. So I thought it was fascinating that today we're going to share the Lord's Supper together, which is a celebration of God's people coming out of captivity, out of Egypt into a new life in a new land. And every time we come and we gather at the table, we celebrate Jesus's uh, the power of his death and resurrection that, that gives us freedom from slavery of sin we remember that we come to the table to remember what Jesus has done and I don't know about you but sometimes I'll just be honest I get busy with life and I forget what Jesus has done for me and I know that sounds bad but isn't it the truth that we can all get to the place where we forget what Jesus has done and it's out of that place that we live and we breathe and we have our purpose in life and we remember Jesus literally goes um, sheds his blood for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can walk in freedom, so that we can also help other people find that same freedom. And we celebrate that today when we come to the table. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just give you just a logistical piece of how we do it here. If this is your first time. We'll stand up when the music starts. We're going to have David come. David's going to... Um, David's going to play a song and he's going to sing. I've asked him to sing this song because David was our worship leader at our youth ministry for years at the Baptist Church. And this song is called The Wrong Side. <laughs> and these people have found themselves on the wrong side of the law, the wrong side of all these situations in their life. Um, and Jesus comes to help, help us kind of cross over, if you will. And I'm asking him to sing this song. And when he starts to play and to sing, what we'll do is we'll all stand up and we're going to go to our right. And then there'll be an offering basket uh, to place your offering in and your, the, um, the attendance sheets if you have those available.
And so then you'll come forward and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll take a, a glass of juice and you'll go back to your seat and you'll wait and we'll do it all together. I always forget to mention that if you're, if you're gluten intolerant, we do have um, some crackers that are available for you to, to take. Um, so may, please, welcome, you're welcome to take those. And so if you're serving communion, why don't you go ahead and come forward and uh, stand here and welcome everyone to come. And so before, before we do that, I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity to write where you're at. Write where you're at. Maybe God is speaking to you today about a whole, probably a whole lot of things, but maybe one of the things that he's speaking to you about today is that, you know, maybe you've never fully just surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never said, I, I want to ask Jesus to come and forgive me of my sin, to, to cleanse me of all the unrighteousness in my life so that I can walk with him. Like you've never called out to the name of the Lord to be saved. And you know, that's, that's, that's the first step before you come and thank him for that gift. You need to receive that gift. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe there's other areas of your life where you've cast judgment on someone else instead of offering them mercy and before you come to the table and experience his mercy maybe you need to ask God to forgive you of that and ask God to to help you walk that out maybe there's someone in your life that you need to go to and you need to say I'm sorry for casting judgment on you and I need to offer you this mercy today maybe that's maybe that's you today before you come to the table would you take care of that it's kind of like washing your hands before you come and eat So I want you to close your eyes. So Father, right now, just present this simple gospel message that God created us to be with him. That was his design. That was his plan to walk in fellowship and this, this goodness of just being in his presence. But the reality is, is our sin gets in the way of that and it separates us from him. You might be here this morning. He said, my sin still has separated me from God. I don't feel close to him. And your sin that separates you from God cannot be removed by your good deeds. You can't do anything to fix it. God knows you've tried to just be good enough to be a little bit better than the person next to you or to be a little bit better than you were the day before, but it just feels like you keep falling short because sin cannot be removed by good deeds. It's not by works so that you might boast. Instead, it's by God's grace, by putting your faith and trust in the one who can take care of your sin, and that's Jesus. And the Bible says that paying the price for sin, Jesus died and he rose again. He died for you and for me, for those that are lost, that are hurting and broken, for you and for me. That's the simple gospel truth. Jesus is the only one that can fix it. Uh, Beauty for Ashes ministry can't fix it like Jesus can fix it, but they'll offer you Jesus to fix it, I promise. So paying the price for sin, for sin, Jesus died and he rose again. And the Bible says that everyone who trusts in Christ alone can receive eternal life, to be forgiven of their sin, to walk in freedom from that sin. And that life that is eternal starts the moment that you believe and lasts forever. So if that's you today and you've never called on the name of the Lord, to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. I encourage you right now, right where you're at, say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. 
Would you cleanse me? Would you, would you fix this brokenness that's inside of me? I want this, this life that is eternal, the life that starts at the moment that I believe, that lasts forever. Would I, can I start living that life today? Can I start experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promises? Can I eat from his table that he has prepared for me? Yes. Yes, you can. So if that's you today, you've called on the name of the Lord to be forgiven. Hey, listen, do me a favor. Don't walk out of here. Don't walk out of here today unless you tell somebody. You know what? I called on the name of the Lord Jesus today. Tell your friend, tell your, the people you came with, tell your family members. Because I promise you, if you don't talk about it and you're ashamed to talk about it, the devil will steal your joy when you walk out of this place. Don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. Tell, tell somebody today. Come and tell me. If you want to come and tell me afterwards or if you tell someone, like I said, that you came with today. And if there's those other issues that you're walking with today, walking through, like ask God to help you. Take the next step. Be obedient to the very next thing he's asking you to do.